not that, that he's there for these other people, but not for you. And it's like, well, what is it about me, God, that you don't want to hang out with me a little bit? All it is is draw near. If you've been, if you've had a tough week, just draw near to the Lord. If you feel like you've just kind of committed too many sins in one week, you know what? Draw near to the Lord. If you feel like people have really hurt you and you're just too covered up and your wall is just too thick to get through, just draw near to the Lord and he can handle the rest of it. Don't you think? He's a big God. I wanted to share this with you. I had something else I was going to share. And as we were in praise and worship, the Lord just kind of dropped something in my heart. When we were singing the song about, you know, his crown. And I I thought the other day uh, I went over to the grapevine and... uh, Really, this is a spiritual thing. It really is. Shopping can be spiritual experience. <laughs> At the grapevine, they had these big crowns that were so beautiful, and I've really been eyeballing them for a long time. And they were on sale, 75% off. So I bought these crowns, and I thought they look really good in my house already. I rearranged things. They look just fabulous. You can all come see it today. <laughs> I'll make you some coffee. But as I was looking at them, and then as we were singing this morning, I was thinking about how pretty my crowns are, the crowns that I've purchased, the crowns that I like. And then I was thinking, all the crowns really belong to Jesus, don't they? But I don't know how many crowns I've been wearing. My neck is kind of weary with wearing so many heavy crowns. I've got the crown of, you know, this is my life, and some people haven't been good to me. They haven't been nice to me, so I'm going to wear this crown. I deserve to wear the crown. I deserve to be king of my own emotions. I'm the king of my emotions, and if I want to feel bad about somebody, I can do it. I'm the king of my emotions. And I, it's like I have the king of, of, well, I need to worry about this situation. I'm the king of this situation because if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. If it gets done, it's not going to get right. I'm the king of that situation. But you know what the Lord was showing me? He said, what if you were to cast off your crowns? What if you were to throw your crowns at my feet? And you know, Jesus came. It's like he has such an upside-down kingdom. I was watching these guys here who were serving as communion. You know that there are our board, there are trustees, but they're serving us. Do you know their whole reason for being on the board and carrying such a lofty title is to be servant of the body of Christ by being our servant, the body of Christ? Do you know that Jesus was already the king of everything? And do you know he cast down his crown so that he could come here and he could die? But you know what? He's not dead anymore. We worship him, and we, we celebrated that he was a baby. We celebrate that he was on the cross, but you know what we celebrate? That he rose from the dead, and he's now in heaven. He is now the king of kings, and he is now the Lord of lords. And so if you're the king of your life, if you're the Lord of your life, cast off off your crowns, lay them at the feet of Jesus, and let the King of kings, the Lord of lords, be your king. And you know what? His kingdom's so much better. He can do so much a better job than you are, than you can do. And pastor says, you know, if you've been, you know, wearing that crown, what does he always say? How's that working for you? Well, I'll tell you, for me, not well. I found myself getting cranky and, and angry and, uh, disappointed and disillusioned and all of these things and I'm getting weary and tired and I'll tell you that I'm telling on myself I'm getting weary and tired but it's from wearing my own crowns so here's my encouragement to you 
God can do it better. Jesus already paid the price. What you have need of, and you could all come up to me one at a time and lay down all your burdens and tell me everything. And I would say, yep, that one too. Jesus has that one covered too. So my encouragement to you and to myself is cast off your crowns and crown the king of kings in your own life. Amen. Amen. That's good. Amen. Amen. Well, have you got your Bibles this morning? Let's lift them up. Repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth, transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple of special people in here today. It is Taylor's 19th birthday. Come on. Let's give her a hand. Turns 19. And then Taylor Duncan is here from the Air Force. I saw you sneak in. Go ahead and wave at everybody. We're glad you're here. Now, last time you were here, you were a lieutenant. Are you a general yet? I was just wondering if you've already... You're not, they haven't given you the keys yet, have they? Okay, well, you stay at it, okay? You stay at it. Um, I'm going to be doing a couple weeks series called Fresh Start. You know, this time of year, how many of you have made resolutions? Come on, let me see your hand. New Year's resolutions. This year, I'm going to, and you've, you've made these resolutions. Well, the truth is, a, a new year is a great time to kind of take evaluation of the last year and maybe look at some things you want to change for the new year. And there's so many spiritual principles involved in that, and I really wanted us to talk about that today and maybe the next couple of weeks, and really talk about making a fresh start. It is time for a fresh start. You know, Brian's back here at church, fresh start for him. So many of us, we can look at things and say, I want to make a fresh start this year, and that's possible. If you look in your notes, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, this is out of the Living Bible, this is what it says. May the Lord bless Onesiphorus. Everybody say Onesiphorus. Bless you. <laughs> May the Lord bless Onesiphorus and all his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. Paul's talking and he says, you know what? We need to bless this guy and his whole family because when I was going through a hard time, this guy visited me and when he came, his, his presence with me, his encouragement to me was like a breath of fresh air. Everybody do this. Take a deep, deep breath. <gasps> Blow it out. We're not going to do yoga. I'm just kind of, you know, practicing that. But, but that's what Paul's saying. He said, this person in my life, when they came to me, when they were around me, it was like a breath of fresh air. Isn't it nice to have people like that in your life? You know, they come around, and when they come, they encourage you, and they lift you up. And, and, and if you look up the Greek word revived, his visits revived me. The word revived in Greek means this, helped me recover my breath. He helped him catch his second wind. He helped him to get back on track. That's what this person was in Paul's life. Now, you know there's a lot of people that Paul met that aren't in the Bible, right? But this guy meant so much to him, he's actually in here. He says, bless him and his whole family for what he's done. If I were to sit down with you and talk to you for a little while, how many of you would like to say, 
Pastor, I kind of need a second wind right now. I really, man, it would be nice to have a fresh start, to, to have this fresh air kind of blow in and clean things out in my life. If you're honest, most of you would say, yeah. So what I want us to do is look at some practical ways, some, some ways the Bible talks about to be able to do that. I've titled this series Fresh Air, and today the, the title of this specific sermon is A Fresh Start. Question for you, how many of you would ever say you've been stuck in a rut? Come on, you've been stuck in a rut. Um, a layman's definition of a rut is just a very long grave. <laughs> a rut is just a really, really, really long grave because at some point it's going to come to an end and you're not going to like the end. I heard a guy say one time, he said, jumping out of a high building, jumping out of a high window is not a big deal. It's the sudden stop. And that's how it is when you're in a rut. The rut, when you're in it, may not build all that bad, but at some point that rut's going to end and it's not going to be pretty when that happens. And so if you're one of those people right now that you might, if you're honest, say, you know what, I'm kind of stuck in a rut not right now, then this message is for you. There's a scientific term called the doldrums. Have you ever heard that term? The doldrums. Let me give you a definition of what that is. The doldrums is a tropical place. It's out in the ocean. It's a tropical place where the northern and southern hemisphere meet. And if you go and look at these areas, the wind typically blows one way in one hemisphere and one way in the other. And there's this place geographically where they meet. And it's, you know, huge ocean, and there's all these winds blowing the opposite direction, but there's a, a specific, just a little bitty slit of land or excuse me, of water, where these areas meet. And here's what's interesting about that place. There's no wind there. There's no wind in this place. And you can imagine what happened back in the day when these guys were selling these big ships, you know, like the big pirate ships. You've seen all that. They're powered by sail, by wind. And what would happen is these ships would become stuck in the doldrums where there was no wind You know what's interesting about the doldrums? If you don't float out, you die there. And some of you, if you're honest about your life right now, you kind of feel stuck in the doldrums. What does that look like? Well, another word for it might be depression. Some of you are maybe living living in a depressed state right now in your life. Some of you are maybe feeling like you have no vision in your life. Nothing is propelling you forward. You feel dry. You feel lifeless. Uh, Another definition that some of you might really relate to is my life is blah. You ever felt that way? Get up in the morning, go to work, go to school, go through the day, in the day, and every day feels exactly the same. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. There's no life. There's nothing motivating you. You look at the future, you don't see anything, and it's depressing. If that's where you are today, there's hope. But but I want to talk to you that there are a few signs that you're stuck in a rut. There are four things, and they actually build on each other like bricks or like stones. They stack on each other, and I'm going to start from the bottom and move to the top. I want you to think about in your life... If you were to do a checkbox, and maybe some of you might be able to do that, if you're looking at your notes today, I want you to look and say, okay, is this checkbox where I am? Because if you are, then that's a sign that you're stuck in a rut in the doldrums. 
So here's number one. In your life, one of the signs that you're stuck in a rut is that you just start faking it. You're just trying to make it. You get up in the morning and put a smile on your face and walk out the door, but it's not how you feel. As a matter of fact, it's not a reflection of what's going on in the inside at all. You know, you've heard me say it before about church, but it's like you're getting ready to come to church and you're in the car and and you're in there with your husband, your wife, and your kids and you're about to kill each other on the way over here. And then you pull in the parking lot and you pull in your parking space and everybody's got to put on their Jesus. Know what I'm talking about? Come on, be honest. I'm a pastor, I will know if that's not you. People are pointing at other people right now. That's hilarious. But we've all done that. You're faking it. It's not how you feel. It's not what's going on on the inside, but hallelujah. How are you today, brother? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got all these Christian catchphrases, and it's not a reflection of what's going on on the inside. You're faking it. It's when I come up to you in the hall, and I go, hey, how are you doing? And you go, pastor, I'm just doing so well, just fantastic, and your life's falling apart, but you're faking it. We've all kind of been there, haven't we? Where we'll go along in life and it's really not good, but we put on our happy face like a clown and it's not really what's going on. Jeremiah 6, 14 in the NIV says this, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. They say peace, peace, where there is no peace. And some of you are like that. You kind of are walking around like what's going on with you is not a big deal. But the reality is it is a big deal. So if this is you today, maybe you need to check this box and say, you know what? I'm kind of faking it right now. It's not really a reflection of what's going on. Here's number two. You put off dealing with your challenges. You put off dealing with your problems until tomorrow. You put it off. You put it off. Your brain tells you, the sun will come out tomorrow. That was horrible, wasn't it? (laughs) But but that's how you feel. You know what? I'm just going to sleep it off, and maybe when I wake up, everything will be okay. You ever been around somebody that's depressed? They want to sleep all the time. When they wake up, maybe life will be better. And you know, I've got a truth, and you need to hear this. Some of you that are living in that spot, you've heard the saying that time heals all wounds, right? It's baloney. It's not true. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. As a matter of fact, sometime in life, if, if you wait for something to just get better and, and let it go and go and go and go, as a matter of fact, it will have the opposite effect. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let me ask you a question. I know many of you have gardens, farmers in here, uh, ranchers in here, and you're planting crops. When is the best time to pull a weed out of the ground? When it first comes up. Why? Because the roots are not very deep when a weed just first starts popping out of the ground. I mean, you can just reach down there and pop it up out of the ground. But you know, it gets really, really tough to deal with some weeds if you let them go for a long time because what happens is their roots begin to get in the ground and infiltrate everything. Matter of fact, what weeds do is they choke out all the good stuff. 
And I know in my own life, I've seen this. We go out and work on crops. You know, we used to have cotton and different things. And you go down in there, and you start getting down there and pulling some of these weeds out. And you pull up big chunks of the ground. As a matter of fact, sometimes you'll even pull up the plants you're trying to save. Because the weeds have grown. And the Apostle Paul tells us, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The problem is, when you just put it off hoping it's going to get better, what happens is it grows and begins to infiltrate everything around you and it can defile those around you. In other words, it messes them up. And he's warning us, grab it when it's little. Because time's not going to make it better. It's only going to get worse. Number three, maybe this is your checkbox. You give up. You give up. Let me ask you a question. How many of you ever wanted to quit before? You just want to quit. Just want to quit. You know, some of you are dealing with or have dealt with in the past addictions. And you don't feel like you can beat it. You'll go for a while and then you're back. And you'll go for a while and then you're back. And you just think, you know what? I'd be better off dead than just dealing with this. Because I can never beat it. And you give up. Some people feel that way in your marriage, in your relationship. You know, I've been married to her 25 years. She won't do what I say. I give up. (laughs) And we do that. We quit. Sometimes we feel like it's easier to throw our hands up than deal with the problem, isn't it? And we give up. Some of you feel that way about your weight. I'm never going to get in shape. doesn't matter what I do. And so you just give up. Here's the problem. Well, maybe you've noticed this. Let, let me ask you this. This has probably happened to you before. Maybe somebody else comes to you and they begin to describe to you the problem they're dealing with in their life. And they describe this problem and, and you're on the outside looking in and you go, ah, oh, well, here's your problem and here are the three things you need to do to fix it. Blum, blum, blum. And you lay it out for them and, and they go on their way and sure enough, they begin to apply those things and their life's all better. But when you're dealing with your own stuff, You can't see the forest for the trees. You can see how to help other people, but you can't see how to help yourself. And so you feel like, you know what? This is too hard. I'm just going to give up. Job 17 verse 13 says this. Where then, this is Job talking, he says, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Some of you have been in that spot in your life before maybe some of you are there right now that you just can't see past today you can't see hope for tomorrow and you just want to give up you just want to die which is number four the end result of being stuck in a rut the end result of staying in the doldrums of staying in a rut is this you die you die people just check out Throw caution to the wind. Some people actually die physically. They give up. You know, I told you uh, November and December, typically for all the different months of the year, November and December are the months where there are the most suicides because people give up and they don't feel like they can go any farther and they actually end their lives, which doesn't solve the problem. It only compounds the problem. Some people just throw caution to the wind. You know what? I can't be good enough to serve God, so I'm going to go the absolute wrong direction. Been there? Many of us that grew up in religious environments will do that. We feel like we can't measure up. 
We can't do enough. We can't be good enough. So instead of trying to be good enough, we run the opposite direction and do everything we can morally wrong. Well, if I can't make it, I might as well just blow my life. Some people die morally. They just go out and do whatever they want to do. I've already messed up. doesn't matter anymore. I'm ruined. And so you die morally. <laughs> if you've ever felt the way of any of these four things, I want you to know you're in very, very good company. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9 says this. This is in your notes. This is really good. We were under great pressure, he says, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Listen to this last sentence. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Paul feels exactly like some of you felt. He felt that way. He knows what it's like to be there. He felt like he couldn't go on anymore. He despaired. The pressure was so great that he thought, you know what? This is going to kill me. Some of you might say the financial pressure is so great, I feel like I'm choking. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Some of you are under such pressure in your life, you literally feel like you're going to die. You literally feel like you're going to die. So if you said yes to any of these four things, or maybe you know somebody that's dealing with some of these four things, what's the solution? See, it wouldn't be very fair of me right now to just walk off and go, have fun with that, (laughs) would it? There's got to be a solution to the problem. If you're depressed today, if you're in a rut today, we're going to talk about how to get out of it. You know, I want you to understand something, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that we live under as Christians, is not about external changes. It's about internal changes. It's all about internal changes. Let me give you an illustration of between external changes and internal changes. When I was in college at North Texas, I was a resident assistant. And what a resident assistant does in in college is you have a wing or or a group of people that you're responsible for. I was a junior. Most of the guys on my wing were freshmen. I was also in the athletic dorm. And there was a lot of testosterone floating around where we were. And so here I was, and I had about 40 or 50 guys that I was responsible for. So for a year, some of these guys, two years, I was responsible for them. I was kind of their big brother. I made sure everything went good on the hall. I was in charge. (laughs) And so what would happen would be very interesting. I began to see a pattern that would go on with these guys. And here's what I noticed. I would start doing my RA thing, and I would meet with these guys and talk to them about study habits and all these different things. And there was a percentage of these guys that would come in here that you could tell their parents were very strict with them at home. You could tell dad was saying, be home at 11, you know, good school. They were very regimented. You could tell. And all of a sudden, mom and dad were gone. And it was like, I'm free. And and you could see what happened. You can imagine. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They're the ones that show up on these TV shows that you see. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, it was like, you mean I can stay out as long as I want to? You mean I don't have to get up and go to class if I don't feel like it? You mean I can go drink? You mean I can go blah, blah, fill in the blank? And they did it. And they did it all. (laughs) 
And then, I'll never forget some of these guys. I'd be talking to them and go, hey, y'all, fellas, fellas. No, it's all good. It's all good. And then here we are in the last few weeks before school's out, and I'm walking into these rooms of these 17, 18, 19-year-old guys, and they're bawling their heads off because they flunked out of college. They're going to lose their scholarships. They're going to get kicked out of school. But here was the statement that mattered the most of all. My parents are going to? Amen. (laughs) My parents are going to kill me. That's what's going to happen. And, and, and some of them, probably that happened. I don't know. <laughs> they never came back, you know. Uh, and, and they went home, and nobody knows what happened. Shallow grave somewhere. I don't know. But they had a choice. And what happened is when the choice confronted them, they began to make the wrong decisions. And, and see, what their parents had done to them growing up is they'd put all these external constraints on them. If you're not home by this time, then this is going to happen. Well, that was easy. They didn't want the punishment, so they, you know, did what they were supposed to do. But nothing changed on the inside. It was all external. Their heart wasn't really in it. They were doing it because they had to, because they were scared of punishment. There's nothing wrong with that, but I want you to understand something. If you don't have changes on the inside, what goes on the outside doesn't really matter a whole lot. It's about the heart. And Christianity is not about the outside. Christianity is about the inside. It's about the inside and the choices we make on the inside. So we're going to talk about choices about how to get out of a rut. And there are choices that you have to make. You can choose to stay in a rut. You can choose to live in the doldrums. You can choose to die. That can happen. Listen, Genesis 2, 9, we're going to start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord commanded the man and he said, you're free to eat anything that you want to in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God said, look. Here's the deal. You can do anything you want to in here. Just don't eat off this tree. Don't do it. Because if you do it, it's going to kill you. So the problem was with Adam and Eve, it wasn't an external problem. They knew the rules, but it was an internal problem that drove them to do that, wasn't it? I want you to understand something today. Satan has always wanted us to choose the wrong tree. He's always wanted us to choose the wrong tree. There's not a person in here today, if I went up to you and I said, is it okay to be on drugs, that you'd say, absolutely. Is it okay to drink and drive? Absolutely. You know, and and you just go down the list of all these things. We all know what the rules are. And yet we choose to break the rules. And then we're surprised at the consequences. Because Satan always wants us to choose death. That's his goal. And so we end up choosing death and then we're in a rut. And then after a while, we're caught up in this rut and we don't know how to get out of the rut because we're making the wrong decisions consistently. 
Deuteronomy 30, 19 says this, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings, and God says now choose life. Choose choices. It's all about choices. And nobody can make your choices for you but you. And it has to be an internal thing. Now, there are a few if-then statements that I want to look in, and I want to kind of examine some different things here and see if you fall into one of these categories. Most of us feel that if we're going to please God, we must, look at your notes, we must do more. If we're going to please God, we have to do more for him. But I want you to understand that you can't earn it with God. You can't do enough. You can't. You can't do enough. There's not this magic checklist that God has and says, oh, they came to church enough. Ding. Doesn't work that way with God. You can't earn it. So what's the solution? You have to receive. You have to be receiving of what God has done for you. You can't earn it. You just have to receive it. Jesus paid it all. We sing that song. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You can't work your way into heaven. And yet many of us try to do that. And and the people that try to do that are the religious ones. Those of us that have grown up in church or been around it, maybe you got saved a few years ago, and all of a sudden it's so easy to fall into this religious system of doing good things. You know, religious people are the most no fun people to be around in the world. You know what I'm talking about? Those people. You know what I'm talking, come on, y'all are acting like, oh, I don't know any of them. (laughs) You know, I mean, religious people are no fun because they're rule keepers. They're the ones that are always, it's all about doing the right thing every second of the day. And, And what happens with that is they begin to be judgmental. It's religious. So what did Jesus say about it? John chapter five, verses 39 through 40. This is Jesus talking. He says, you, religious people, diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And then he says this. These are the same scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The rules are there for a reason, but if you're following the rules to check boxes to get where you want to be, you're going to be miserable because you're always going to fall short. You're always going to fall short. Here's the next thing to look at. Some of you are trying to work to get God's approval. You want to get God's approval. Why? Because you think God's mad at you. And and you got this idea that God's waiting up there to bop you on the head every time you make a mistake. He's sitting up in the sky with a lightning bolt with your name on it. And so you're walking around in fear all the time. You think that God's mad at us. Come on, how many of you grew up that way? Thank you for your honesty. Some of you are going, I don't want to raise my hand because I might get shocked. No, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. We have to dress a certain way. We have to act a certain way. We, and yes, there are things that we need to do as Christians, absolutely. But if you think that there's a scriptural dress code somewhere that, that's going to be the thing that gets you to heaven, you're wrong. And you'll be miserable because you're going to mess up. 
So here's the other thing for that. Instead of trying to get God's approval, you need to learn to receive God's love for you. Receive God's love for you. Why? Because he loves you. He knows what you did this week. And he still likes you. He knows. Some of you need to think about that. God knows what you did this week and he still likes you. He may not approve of what you've done because he doesn't want you to hurt yourself. He doesn't want you to stay in the rut. He doesn't approve of bad choices. I want you to understand that. This is not a sloppy gospel. If you make bad decisions, you're going to reap what you sow many times. But he loves you anyway. If God had a refrigerator, your face would be on it. (laughs) He loves you that much. How many of you have had kids or grandkids and you walk in the house and there's all these pictures on the refrigerator that, boy, they're, you know, some of them are scary. But you love those kids and you put them up there to remind yourself, right? That's where you're at in God's heart. Your face is always before him. He loves you. You're his child. Romans 5, 8 says this, one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's another way to think of it. When he was going to the cross, when they were beating him, when they were spitting on him, he was loving them. That's why you hear me say a lot of times it's a reminder to me, not a religious thing. It's a reminder to me on my worst day. He loves me. You can't earn that, guys. That's the grace of God in our lives. That's the grace of God. Here's another thing many of us run into. We obey, we obey out of duty. We serve God out of obligation. Almost like, well, Church is not good, and, and you know, I really don't like the pastor, and I really don't like the music, but I'm going to go, and I'm going to punch my I went to church box this week, and it's really bad, but it's kind of like eating vegetables when you don't like them. It's good for you. So the worst the church is, it must be really, really good for me, because I don't like it. <laughs> and we feel like we're, we're doing these things out of religious obligation or duty, and somehow we're pleasing God. <laughs> it's not that way. God doesn't want us to obey him out of duty. He wants us to obey him out of delight. John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will obey what I command. There was another group of kids at college when I was up there. And these were the ones that you didn't have to worry about. They got it. They were the ones that were studying when they were supposed to study. They were the ones that weren't out messing around and and doing the things they didn't need to do. I'm not saying they were perfect, but what I am saying is they saw the bigger picture. They were the ones their parents could release out into the wild and not worry about them. Why? They didn't obey out of duty. They obeyed because they loved their parents. They obeyed because they wanted to be successful. And Jesus says to us, if you love me, obey what I command. That's a heart thing. That's a heart thing. And I want to tell you, in life, if the only time you're serving Jesus is when you come to church on Sunday, you're missing out. And you need to check your heart. 
Because we need to be obeying him when we're not here. Not out of religious duty because we're scared lightning bolt's going to strike us. But because our love for him. I serve him because I love him. Not because it's in my job description. We serve him because we love him. So here's the question today. This is the big question. I'm about to close. Jesus asked this question. Do you love me? He asked Peter that question. But what if it's you and Jesus? I want you just to imagine for a minute. Use your imagination. Imagine it's just you and God. It's you and Jesus. And you're outside and you're sitting down and nobody's around. It's just the two of you. And he looked at you and he said, do you love me? One of your responses might be, well, of course I love you, Lord. I'm at church twice a week. And then he would probably say, but do you love me? Lord, I read my one-year Bible and my daily devotional every day. As a matter of fact, I'm current. I'm not even behind. And he might say, but do you love me? Lord, I love you so much, I don't even eat devil's food cake. I only eat angel food cake. That's how much I love you. Really? Let's be honest with ourselves. If you don't love him today, if you're depressed, if you're in a rut, be honest with yourself. You know, one of the first things they teach you in business, one of the first things they teach you in counseling, one of the first foundational principles of life is you have got to be honest with yourself. Because here's the truth. You have to live with you. Trust me, this sermon today is not for me. It's for you. And if you're honest with yourself, are you in a rut? Which is a long grave. Are you in the doldrums? There's no wind. When's the last time you smiled and really meant it? When's the last time you laughed and you really felt it? Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that last day, on the day, the judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? I think you could almost add in parentheses, show up to church every time the door was open. Didn't I attend all the special functions? Didn't I give every Sunday? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I know you don't want to be that person and neither do I. See, when I read that, it's not Pastor Chris reading that to you. That's Chris. And I read that for me too. Because you can say all the right things and you can put on your happy Jesus face and you can be going through hell and be stuck in your rut. So what's the final thing? What's the answer? You need to fall in love with Jesus. Not out of religious duty. Not because you have to. You know, I want you to write this down. If you're a note taker, write this down. This is the gospel according to Chris. 
The answer is always draw close to Jesus. Always. It's always draw close to Jesus. Trisha said it. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. I'm going to make a confession to you today. I've been in a rut the last couple months. I've been in a rut. Don't like it, but I'm being honest. You know, the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another. You know why? So that we may be healed. I've been in a rut. I don't like being in a rut. You know, I, I, I know some things about me. You know, I'm one of the most selfish people I know. Made a lot of mistakes. So if I can be honest to you in front of all these people, and that's just the truth, then I want you to be honest with yourself. Because I want to be healed. What about you? Look up. Your salvation is near. Some of you need to understand that he's right there and he's waiting on you. So if you're burned out or you're burned up or you're burned over and you don't feel like you can take another step, if you feel like, man, God, if I don't hear from you, then you're in a good place because today's your day to begin to get out of that rut. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for all these folks here today and and your word's really clear that we need fresh air blowing our sails. There's some of us here today that, Lord, we're in the doldrums. There's no wind. There's no vision. Feels hopeless. There are people here today fighting depression. They just want to go to sleep. But, Lord, the answer is to draw close to you. You will never turn us away. There's none of us bad enough. (laughs) There's none of us who have sinned enough. You love us. So Father, today I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray for every person in this room, specifically those that are going through what I'm talking about. You know who you are and you're not here by accident today. This is God throwing you a lifeline. But you have a choice to make. God's saying, there's death and life. Choose life. Not because you're perfect, but because he is. And he loves you. Grab the rope. So, Pastor, how do I do that? Very simple. Everybody put your hands on your heart this morning. This is honesty time. Forget about everybody around you. It's not about them. This is about you. Some of you have allowed bitterness to grow in your heart and it's corrupted your life. And your life's a mess. And you're bitter. Some of you are lost in your addictions. And you're in the rut. Some of you are depressed, and you know it. You don't see any hope. Some of you feel like you've sinned so much that God would never take you back, and that's a lie. 
There's another group. Some of you are religious and your heart's cold. You serve God out of obedience, not because you love him. You did it one time. Now you're just putting one step in front of the other. And that is no way to live. And you want God to touch your heart again. You want to feel the warmth of his touch in your life again. If you're any of those people that I just mentioned, slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. I want you to understand that God can meet you right where you are. People's hands went up in the, all over the auditorium. Let's all put our hands on our hearts this morning. Repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I'm in a rut. I need your help. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against those that are around me. It's not working. I need your help. I know that you love me, but I feel like I can't measure up, that I can't be good enough. But your word says, if I come to you, you will not cast me away. So today, I ask you to come back into my heart. Clean me up. Make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for loving me, for dying for me, and rising again. Amen. If you prayed that and you meant it, he'll begin to work on you. He'll begin to fix things on the inside of you today. Amen. Father, I speak a blessing over these folks today. I pray that as we leave this place, we will be your hands and feet to our family, to our community. Lord, some of us to ourselves. I pray, Father, that you would breathe a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit into our lives and energize us again. Where there is no vision, I pray for vision. Where there's hopelessness, I pray for hope. In your name, and all God's people said, amen. All right, you're dismissed. Go grab you some lunch. <laughs> Have a good week. <laughs>